0: would you join me? Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you for the chance to be together, to celebrate, to lift our voices joyfully, but most of all to be fed upon your word. For we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. Strengthen and nourish us by this word now as we seek a deeper understanding that our lives might be transformed to reflect your goodness and grace. This we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So the interesting thing about doing Christmas in July is that I get a chance to focus on the other Christmas reading. See, every year there's readings for both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but Christmas Day is usually a very small service, typically consisting of my family and two or three other people who had to work the night before. (laughs) Christmas Eve is when we have to pull out the candle lights and pull out the stops, right? We get to sing all our favorite Christmas songs and we use the more celebratory readings of Luke and John. John, of course where he recounts for us, this is John's Christmas story, if you don't know. It's the first 18 verses of John's Gospel, where he talks about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as he gets to in verse 14. And Luke's Gospel story is the one where we get you know, the nativity scene, and the shepherds coming, and the angel choirs in the heavens, and it's very dramatic and celebratory. Matthew's Gospel is typically read on Christmas Day. Matthew's Gospel is just as dramatic but perhaps a little less celebratory. We have the angels showing up but this time it's to keep Joseph from walking away from his bride to be in shame because she's pregnant. And the angel needs to tell, her, tell him this is of God. And what's significant about this reading... Actually, there's lots. We could do an hour-long Bible study. Up, but we're not going to. I'll get you home by lunch. Um, what's significant about that I want to focus on today are the names that are given to this coming child by the angel. The first, of course, is the one by which we call him, Jesus. Yeshua, in the Hebrew. Which is the same as the word Joshua. And he is so named because just like Joshua, he is going to be a warrior. But he is going to fight the powers of sin, death, and the devil. And rather than securing an earthly land for the people of God, he's going to secure a heavenly home by his waging war in that way. So Jesus, God... Jesus is Yahweh with us. And the name Yeshua means Yahweh saves. So this is Yahweh showing up to save, not through a proxy as he did with Joshua, but in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And that's clued into us by the second name that the angel gives, Emmanuel, God with us. Now in the modern world we hear that and not wrongly but incompletely we hear that as a message of comfort. God is with us. In the darkness, in the difficulties, God is with us and that's right. But it's more significant than that and you would have picked this up much more easily if you'd been one of Matthew's original audience for which he wrote this gospel. For we know that this gospel was written for a group of Jewish Christians. People steeped in the stories of the Old Testament, including the story of Abraham and his call, which we just heard from Genesis 12. And Matthew's the intro to Matthew's Gospel traces the lineage of Jesus back to David, which is how Joseph is addressed as a son of David, and then back from that to Abraham, linking the call of Abraham directly to the coming of Jesus Christ in the opening genealogy. Now, I'm going to take you a step back further than that to Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, we see Adam and Eve, our primordial parents, walking in the garden with God. And we're told that it was their habit to walk in the coolness of the evening with the Lord. Now these people, Adam and Eve, are made in the image of God. God created them alone of all creation in His image. Now what does that mean? Well, as we see God walking in fellowship with them in the coolness of the evening, it means that God created us alone of all creation for fellowship and communion with Him. Whatever else it means that to say we're made in the image of God, it at least means this, as the church fathers zeroed in on very quickly, that we are born, we're created, I should say, with a rational soul. We have the ability to appreciate what God has done in a way that other animals simply cannot. Other creatures simply cannot. As the opening chapters of Genesis unfold, God is creating and He sees that it's good and He says that it's good. He sees that it's good and He says that it's good. Now He's going to create creatures with whom He can have fellowship that can look around and go, wow, God, this is good. We were created for that kind of fellowship. And it takes a similarity to have fellowship with two... People in particip- who are participating in the fellowship and communion with each other this week, um, our, our teens who were just just told they were singing in front of you today, um, we all slept around on the floors here in the, in the church all week long, and um, because of that, I was away from my dog. My dog is my dog. She, uh, Lisa would go home and feed her sometimes, and she 'd hear my f- voice on the phone she 'd start barking. She missed me, and I missed her. And she sat by my side last night now that I was home. I love my dog tremendously. But I don't have communion with my dog. Because my dog and I can't share a lot. My dog can't share my love for Jane Austen, for instance. (laughs) The way my kids and my wife can. My dog can't share my love for Johann Sebastian Bach or Stevie Ray Vaughan, for that matter. The things that engage my my rational faculties I can't share with my dog because she doesn't have that capacity. God created that capacity in us, made us in His image that we could share those things with Him. But sin interferes with our ability to be in communion with God. Our willful turning away from God makes it so that we can't have that thing God created us for in the first place. And so very quickly in the book of Genesis, we we sin, God pronounces the judgment, but even in the judgment makes a promise. What theologians like to refer to as the Proto-Evangelion, that the serpent who tricked us, well, the woman's child shall crush the serpent's head even though the serpent will bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the coming of the Messiah. Even as because of our sin, God must remove himself at an infinite distance from us. And he must. For the holiness of God, and holiness is not something we talk about a lot in the modern world, but the holiness of God destroys sin. So as long as we are in sin, God must be distant from us in order not to destroy us. God distances Himself out of love for us. But already provides the promise that will lead to the way home. And By the time we get to Genesis 4, we see people calling upon the name of the Lord because He's not present with them in the same way He had been before. Well, fast forward to Abraham. And Abraham is told that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That is, through one of his descendants, all of humanity, all those affected by the distancing of God from us, will be blessed. And then as the intro to Matthew's Gospel makes clear, down a long lineage of people from Abraham to Joseph to Jesus. That covenant with Abraham is fulfilled and Jesus blesses all of the people of the world by conquering the sin, death, and the devil that has been cast like a pall over their very existence from the beginning. Jesus is God with us. And in Jesus, perfect humanity and perfect holiness come together and are married. And so the distance between us and God is overcome. And now there is a way home for us. Back to the communion for which God intended us from the beginning. And that is what St. Paul is reflecting on in the book of Romans. Not merely a sentiment that it's nice that we have God in the darkness, but that after all those centuries and centuries, those epochs of distance between God and us, God is with us in such a way that no darkness can interfere again. No power in heaven or on earth, no power or principality can ever separate us again from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that should be reassuring to us. As we deal with the darkness of a sin-soaked world, we will have those moments, sometimes rare, sometimes often, where we wonder where God is in all of this. To know with certainty because of the gift of Jesus and our faith in him that our, we cannot be separated from God and his love that is a precious promise beyond all measure it reminded me maybe because I've been sleeping on the floor in the sacristy for the week it reminded me of a... Uh, that's kind of like a... It, it, that's an indoor camping experience. We didn't have it like the Scouts did. Teens, they were out in the hot. <laughs> we had air conditioning. But uh, it did remind me of a story I learned at Scout Camp when I was a kid. About a young Native American a boy who was making the journey from boyhood to manhood. And the rite of passage in his particular tribe was to spend a night alone in the forest... Without a campfire. He'd been trained in all the arts of hunting, the arts of war, but this was to be a test of courage. His father would walk him into the woods and say goodbye to the boy, and if he survived the night, would greet the man in the morning who remained. And as his father walked away, as he watched his back recede down the path and out of the woods, all the night noises became louder. (laughs) And as the darkness settled over the woods, he jumped at every crack of every twig. He kept his spear ready to hand and his knife at his side. It was the longest night of his life. But as the morning sun rose and the sky began to lighten, what he saw on the hill above his camping spot was the silhouette of his father who had never left him all night long and stood guard. That is the reassurance we have because of the gift of God in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel in its purest form. And back in Genesis when we lost God, we lost each other too. Adam and Eve's first act is to hide from one another. The fig leaves are not to hide themselves from God. It's a br- the break in our communion with God results in a break in a communion with each other. And now that we have been restored to communion with God communion with each other can likewise flow again. We can live with the great risk of love that our Father took in sending Jesus. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you have sent yourself you as you have sent your Son in the person of Jesus. We thank you for the restored communion we have with you and the courage we can have to love as you have loved. Make our fellowship a thing of your love. A place where forgiveness is offered and accepted place where we take great risks for the sake of the most vulnerable, a place where we know your presence among us, for where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is present among us. We ask this blessing in his name, Amen.